Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and I am joined by my co-hostess with the mostest, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I mean, in podcast land, I'm feeling great. In reality, <laughs> I'm a mess. Oh, no. Oh, it's, no. It's, it's fine. It's fine. I I, I am who I am. Uh, I, like, I am on t- I am gifted with not only at times just like crippling anxiety i also get the bouts of insomnia oh. and it's a bear and then i finally did fall asleep last night and i had a nightmare and i don't know if you've had one like this but i get them all the time and i feel like they're the worst you're laying there your back is to the edge of the bed and you wake up because you feel like hands or something like touching your back and as a parent five times out of ten maybe it's a child because they need something right but that other time it's nothing there's nobody there it was in your mind and it freaks me out because I can feel it and then you just feel like there's hands on whoa I hate it I hate it so much so then it's you struggle to go back to sleep after that so I haven't really slept and I was like down to the wire on getting my notes ready for this so right right I'm, I'm not 100% sure what I poured in those cups, so I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little, little manic, and uh, away we go. <laughs> well, listen, I'm here yeah. for it, first of all. I'm yeah. so sorry about the insomnia. I also struggle hey. with insomnia, and I know how, yeah. like, truly maddening slash uh, crippling it can be. Um, I have a recurring, well, I have so many recurring nightmares. That's a whole other (laughs) podcast. Uh, but, but I have had similar, uh, nightmares to that. The, the big one for me, and I have had this a lot lately, is I am packing for somewhere and I don't have time and I can't get everything I need into the suitcase 
and I have people that are waiting. Like it's always these packing nightmares. That's and I mean, I know that doesn't sound like a nightmare, but in the context of the dream, it's like your life depends on it. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. very scary. We are also, um, I think it's in our DNA. We are the type we can't, we don't like people waiting on us. Yeah. Because then instantly we're like, well, we're letting them down and it's yep. a whole spiral. Yep. And so I get it. Yeah. And packing is a lot of pressure to begin with because you got to make sure you have the right stuff. Baby. <laughs> that was you. a new kids on the block reference for anybody who's wondering. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, one of the biggest sadnesses I have, completely taking a left-hand turn, is that we have never been on a New Kids on the Block cruise. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like you and I would thrive. Yeah. I was team Jordan Knight. Of course. You know? I had the Jordan Knight, I can't say Barbie doll, but he was like the 12-inch yeah. doll that came with a cassette tape that was just a single song. Yep. Couldn't tell you what it was because I didn't care about the tape. I just loved him, but he had like the plastic hair that was all nicely like carved in. And then just a single little like threadbare little rat tail down his neck. And I just, just so creepy. Like even as a child, I was like, woof, don't care for that. <laughs> so you always look at him from the front. Yep. You just never well, turn him around. I, of course, was on team his brother, Jonathan Knight, who I believe, of course, has come out as a homosexual as an adult. Good for him. Living his truth. Love it. But he did not have, he was a much more clean cut uh, doll. Yes. He did not have the rat tail. And he had a, yes. a very kind of like, for lack of a better term, Cosby sweater. You know what I mean? Like the, the really kind of yes. loud yep. sweaters. Yeah. I remember that vividly. I like that we gravitated to brothers. It feels right. It's not the first time and yeah. it won't be the last. Because the joke is, I thought maybe you were going to say Joey. Because there's a little part of me that's like, Joey McIntyre? Come on. <laughs> he was adorable <laughs> and tiny. And... He was. But all I'm saying is, God damn you, COVID, end so that we can get on a, a New Kids on the Block cruise. I say this now, but I feel like because of COVID, it's like breeding these like really big germ anxieties within me. And I don't know that I could get on a cruise ship now. I I'm, oh. guess I'm sad that we didn't do it before we became keenly aware of every single thing that we touched during a day, you know? Yes. Yes. I yeah. mean, we could still potentially see them in concert if they did some sort of a concert. Yeah, a concert I think I could I could handle. I don't know that I can get on a cruise. Oh, if they did a show in Vegas, you'd be in the car. Yeah. You know? Get in the, get in the car. So, yep. So, and I I've never seen them. Again, I only saw them once as an adult in Vegas, and uh, the, their new numbers, and, and listen, again, truth moment here, yeah. I'm taking a page from the book, Christy in a prior episode of this show said, you like what you like, and guess what, I like their new music, there I said it, I like it, and that's just it, but when they performed sure. it, those dances, I wouldn't say were what I would call polished, or... <laughs> or even seemingly rehearsed. Um, oh. They were very rough. But yeah. this is the joke, is that when they break into one of the old hits, Hanging Tough, you know, The Right Stuff, all that, yeah. the dances were note perfect. Like, it was like it was like sense memory for them or something. It was yeah. actually kind of, like, charming because it was, it, they must have done those dances so many times that they're, like, burned oh, in their yeah. brain. But the new material, that wasn't as, wasn't as good. And then I'm sure I told you the story and I'll share it with you, dear listeners. At the end of that concert, they had all left the stage 
only to have Donnie Wahlberg uh, go as though he's about to leave. And then he, from the side, he grabs a huge stack of what was probably like 20 folded towels. And then he just rubbed it <laughs> up and down his sweaty chest and just started <laughs> tossing them into the crowd. And what I loved was a few things. One, somebody's job working on that concert is just to, <laughs> is to prep Donnie's sweat towels for the for the giveaway at the end of every episode every every concert that's the first thing i love the second thing i love is that he has the audacity to believe that people want that then the third point i want to make is he was right (laughs) that crowd went nuts nuts people were going crazy trying to grab those sweat towels i mean not (laughs) this is we're not gonna get fully into it but of the five, he's number four. <laughs> now you're going to rank them. Oh, oh! I've had them ranked since like 1988. <laughs> okay, so what is it? Jordan? Yeah. Jordan. Joey. Joey. Yeah. Danny? Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Jonathan. Donnie, Danny. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. You know, I went through a brief phase where I really liked Danny, but I think that was just because not a lot of people did, and I felt bad for him. Oh, you've got the heart for it, you know? <laughs> yeah, gets I mean, me into trouble, this this ticker. <laughs> yeah, I love that Donnie was the only one that wanted to do the towels. I feel like he did it once and then was like, guys, you should do this. And they were just like, no. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I assume now he can't. What's like if they were when this is all over. Oh, I don't I think, assume he wouldn't do I that anymore. I think that the time is done to yeah. share sweat. I think we're past that. Yeah, I think we got past that. Now yeah. I also heard that him and Jenny McCarthy, they if they're apart, right. they Facetime while they sleep. Oh, and boy. it was being presented as though like, isn't this cute? And I'm like, no, that's because she is terrified he's going to cheat on her. Right? Like. Why else would you be yeah. like, let's just FaceTime until we fall asleep and then leave it on overnight? Also, are you on Wi-Fi? I hope so, because otherwise your data plan is getting eaten up. You know what I'm saying? That's the most adult thing I think you've <laughs> ever said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think of all of the times that I've gone to visit you. Yeah. That I have not FaceTimed my significant other. Right. The entire time, like the amount of times that I go and then forget to FaceTime them at all. <laughs> I don't mean to, but we get, we barely get time. Of course. So by the time we get time, we need to make the most of it. And yep. like the idea, like I know my husband doesn't want to have a weird like, okay, well, I'll kind of watch you sleep. And it's like, no, it's weird. It's weird. But I forgot they were a thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I forgot they were a thing. Not, I'm not disappointed in any way. Again, <laughs> number four. But uh, <laughs> but yet I'm not disappointed that number three was gay. But it's well, it's fine. Yep. Um, I mean, also, I haven't seen them physically, in like, in years. So yeah. in my head, they're still those, like, fresh-faced early 20s late teens i don't even know what they were i just remember i had their backpack i was literally about to say it depends on the year yeah lauren that's how (laughs) age works 
They are a certain age on a certain in a certain year. I am not well. I'm not a well woman. Um, yeah, it makes sense. I picture them when I picture them. I'm wearing my bright like purple new kids on the block backpack mm. that I still have. You do? I do. Well, that's got to get pulled out. Well, the joke is I would have probably gotten rid of it by now in my like big purge as an adult that's like, oh, I don't need this anymore. Get rid of it. Except um, my mother, because it was for school, had written my name on it, but she wrote my name in Sharpie like on the outside of the backpack. So I was like, nobody's going to want this. Even if it was on the inside, I could like cross my name out or sure. do something. But if it's on the front, I'm like, oh, I guess I'll keep it. And now I'm just like, ah, oh, sweet. I have it still. <laughs> have I Vintage. already considered how can I turn that into some sort of like a more like adult bag that I can wear on this cruise? I like the sounds of this, repurposing one bag into another. You could probably yeah. turn it into some sort of like cross crossbody bag. Oh, yeah. You know you what know? I'm going to end up doing? I'm going to end up having big, big plans and then show up in the backpack <laughs> as a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're going to have really big plans about how to repurpose yeah. it. And then guess what? You're going to show up wearing it as a backpack. And I'll yeah. love you for it. I will love you for it. Now, I do have to ask. I know you said that you're not sure, but what you drinking yeah. over there? Uh, it tastes like whiskey. So <laughs> so that's your best guess. Great. Yeah, just Great. a little uh, cherry whiskey and Coke. So like, if they want to sponsor us, if either of them do. Cherry whiskey and Coke, if you're listening, yeah. we are not above wearing your hats for a price. Yeah. Or just to have the hats. I, of course, am still in dry January, which is shocking, I know. But I'm, I'm just onto the Diet Coke again, if they could... This, you know what, if I drink enough of these, I start to get a little buzzy. You know what I'm saying? Like I start to yeah. get, I think it's the chemicals. Um, and so the point is, is that by the end of this podcast, I might seem intoxicated anyway. It's funny. Again, yeah. I sometimes, I listened to the part of the last one and I was like, I feel like I still sound drunk and I haven't had a drop. I think it's just our energy. I think I'm drunk There's, on happiness is the point. There is, oh, that's right? beautiful. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there's just something, there's something about the combination, the, the ring light breathing down your face and just, you kind of just go off into another world. Yep. And, and then it's, suddenly. It's the show energy, you know what I mean? It's yeah, the, see? Yeah. Oh, now your shoulder shimmy yeah. in. Now we got it. Yeah, I love it. I'm Ooh, here for it. Feels good. Feels yeah. good. Feels right. Yeah. Um, well, listen, tonight's episode, today's episode, who knows what time of day you're listening to it. <laughs> this episode of the show is, of course, tackling the hit HBO documentary series, Murder on Middle Beach. And we are going to talk about episodes one and two, because, of course, Murder on Middle Beach is a four-part docu-series on HBO. And we thought it might be easiest to split it up kind of by episodes because there is so much information to get to. It, it, we just think that this is probably going to be easier. Otherwise, it may be one six-hour episode, which for some people, that may be exciting. For other people, <laughs> that might feel daunting. <laughs> so yeah. hence, we wanted yeah. to break it up into two. It makes the most sense. I feel like there is enough information in both of these, and I say that having not researched the second half, but... There's enough information. We're gonna, there's gonna be reveals and we're gonna end up running long on both, I feel. So I love it. It's just the right way to go. 
Now, we were talking about this before we recorded, and we were trying to think of a story because obviously we like to share stories from our from our lives together that connect in some way to the episode. And we were talking about this, and Christy was like, oh, you know, it was this very affluent family. They, they had a lot of money. And then, and then she was like, where's the richest place you and I have gone together? Like, what's a big thing that we've done? And then you came up with a great quote, which was... <laughs> Uh, the fanciest place I've ever been was my own wedding. And even then, I wore Converse. <laughs> it's true. Because it I is did. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to post photos of that on Instagram. True Crown yeah. Cocktails. Look yeah, I'm just, I've never been, I'm not really like a high heels. I've done them a few times since then. But leading up to that, I don't know if I'd ever done them. So I was just like. Why would I put myself through that? I know I'm going to end up getting hammered at the reception. So why put myself through that? And it's like, what would I be comfortable in? And the answer is a pair of pink chucks. Yeah. And I think what was really cute was, of course, you were in a, you know, a big poofy wedding gown. But there was like every (laughs) once in a while, one of those, one of those little Converse toes slipped out. And it was very cute. Yeah. I, uh, I I was very happy with the choice. I was very comfortable. Obviously, there's that like tourniquet like what's the word I'm looking for god I've already lost words and we're just getting out the gate corset yep uh that would be it uh the corset tourniquet yeah uh close enough yeah oh yeah that was that was the really uncomfortable part and it was the part where as my maid of honor Mm -hmm. uh I had you help me in the bathroom in a stall we quickly tried to like get that off and then I just threw it under a table because that's where like our stuff was after and then the rest of the night, I was like, I'm feeling this. I'm loving it. I was so comfortable. It was great. Yeah. 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 Listen. Good stuff. Uh, now, at that wedding, of course, yeah. we recreated a very famous photo. And by famous, I mean famous <laughs> to us <laughs> from our lives. So yeah. this was uh, the original photo would have been taken. I had short hair. I think I would have been about 15, I think. Sure. I think I was about 15. That was the same trip as Crayola Head, I think. Oh, that checks out. Yeah, which was uh, something we referenced on a previous episode of the show, I think maybe last week. Again, Christy was visiting me in my hometown. We went to Taco Bell because there was not Taco Bell near where you were living. And to get Fries Supreme, which for the Americans, they've done a version of this now at Taco Bell, but we've always had it. And it's like traditional fries with nacho cheese sauce, the ground beef, tomatoes, sour cream. My mouth is watering. Know, it's I'm so hungry. good. <laughs> it's so good. And I'm always like, why don't they have this in America? And then like a year ago, I think they started doing something similar, but I don't even know if they do it anymore. Point being, we went to Taco Bell to get fries supreme and there was this gentleman there, a teenager. We were teenagers and he had bright red hair. And then I was, of course, immediately in love. Uh, mm-hmm. Never saw him again. Um, never. I think I wrote a song about him on my guitar. Oh, that feels right. I'm yeah. almost positive. Because that was the same trip that you took. <laughs> God bless you. You took a series of photos of me playing my guitar in I one did. of the yes. spare bedrooms at our grandparents' house. And I think for me, I was like, these will go in my album. Like, this is it. Like, these, like, at-home yeah. photos. And and bless you for, for being my photographer on that photo shoot. The it album didn't honor. happen for anybody wondering. <laughs> Still waiting on that. But anyway, so long story short, too late. Uh, during that trip, and I feel like it may have even been that night, but I may be wrong. For some reason, we decided to get a photo of us 
like a la Lady and the Tramp with a with a piece of bread. And it was a crusty roll. Like it was, you know, there was a lot of yeah. distance between us. But we sure. were both biting it on each side. And for some reason, this was hilarious to us. Do you remember yes. anything about the context of that? I believe it was some sort of cheese bun. It was a cheese bun. Um, yes. I believe, I could, I'm not 100%, but I feel like it was something like, you know, people commenting about like, you guys are the same person. We don't know where one end and the other begins. And then next thing you know, it like one of us was eating one and the other was eating one. And then I think someone was like, I can't believe you guys don't share share one because you share everything or something along those lines. I think you're and right. Yeah. We're, we're just always down for a bit. We are down for a bit. So we yeah. took this picture of us with the, with the cheese bun between us, each biting into it. And so then we recreated this photo at Christie's wedding. But instead of the bun, we had a very long Twizzler. <laughs> yes, because I had a I had a candy bar. That was our yes. our midnight lunch. We did a full candy bar with like popcorn and chocolate bars and Twizzlers. And yeah, it was great. Was awesome. I don't. Uh, uh, there is nothing about the wedding I would change. I was, it was a great time and yeah, that was worth it. And it was worth it to look, see the look on the photographer's face when we tried to explain to her what we wanted her to do with this photo. And she's like, I'm sorry, you, you're both going to be eating Twizzlers. And we're like, no, 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 we're going to be eating the same one. And she's just like, I don't get it. And we're like, you don't have to. You don't need to. Uh, and I think that that's the really important part of this. I'm glad you brought that up. This was not just posed for someone to take a quick photo of, like, on their phone. No, no. no. The professional <laughs> photographer was called over to take a picture of this moment. Again, look at our web, uh, our website, but also uh, True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram, because Christy will post these photos, and yeah. you're going to want to see them. Now, what am I doing right now? Just mopping up. I just, I've spit all over my own face. Again, not a drop of alcohol, but, but I'd say... I'd say, honestly, right now, I feel like a three out of ten. Buzz, buzzing. I'm buzzing. Wow. Yeah. Again, I think it's feeding off the, yeah. uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird drunk energy going around. I'm not even drunk yet. Yet. But you know it's what else? Coming. This is making me realize that maybe yeah. part of the reason, because when we were young, we've talked, we've talked about this all the time. When we were kids into yeah. teens, people, our family was always like, oh, we can't be around them. They're too much. We weren't yeah. drunk all that time. We were just no. stone cold sober us. So I feel like this is tapping into that original, you know what I mean? We've just, we've gotten, we've now gotten far enough into this. Yeah. That there is just a... Uh, like a loose like this is who we are yep. we're comfortable now we yep. whereas before like you've been comfortable from day one whereas I was just like hello <laughs> I can't I look back <laughs> I looked back at one of the first episodes that we did recently and I was like oh look at those babies you know like it yeah. feels like it was years ago and I'm also just very like you will say something and then I'm like ha like I feel very like <laughs> SNL and like delicious dish you know where they just like sit back and it's like one of them will lean forward and say something very quiet and then they're done and it's like yeah that's the energy I was bringing whereas I don't know what's happened but I've just like you know what this is who I am this people are gonna like it or they're not take it or I leave mean, it it's I, I am who I am and it just the more comfortable I can be the the less physically ill I am about the idea of people hearing and seeing this. 
Well, listen, if I know anything, it's that the yeah. fans love you. The listeners love you. Oh. I love you. I mean, again, they're not tuning into this show for me. That's all I've got to say. That's all I've got to say. On, you're born you... to do it. You're a natural. No. You're born oh, to do it. That's God. it. I mean, um, I will say, I mean, that's high praise. And I loved all of it. True. Again, because again, my New Year's resolution. Accept compliments when they that, come don't that don't was a bat test them away don't <laughs> that was a test and you guess always what always keep me honest always you, you passed you oh. passed okay you're doing great yeah i something i have desperately missed since being in school is being graded <laughs> <laughs> okay now I, we're getting into the therapy I, portion I, of the of the show <laughs> love it okay I Keep it coming. Wanna, I just want to, I, I just want to get an A. I want to like write an essay. I want a topic. When one of my kids gets home from school and is like, "Ugh, I have to write an essay on this. I'm like, let's talk about it. What do you want to do? How do you want to lay that out? He's just <laughs> like, what? And I'm like, oh. And the day he came home and said he's working on a short story. I was like, what? <laughs> Can I get involved? It's <laughs> like, I would love to. I did not. And his teacher who read it knows no adult was part of that. Um, he's his own. He has his own very, very unique voice. And uh, it came through. I'll say that. <laughs> well, listen, if you ever want to yeah. write a book report, an essay, a short story, whatever, and send it to me, I'll grade it for you. Oh. I'll write in red. I, you're going to love this. I might need, I might just start sending you case files because I don't know if I have time. Although I would love nothing more than to not say anything to you, just mail you one. And without you all of a sudden get this like essay and it's like, and in this essay, I'm going to talk about, and it's like, I'm talking about one of the cases, but I've made it an essay. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I may have to do that. But a book report on law for dummies, like <laughs> That feels, which I do own. Of I course. Did, uh, I did receive that recently, which is amazing. Well, listen, but. she does her research, folks, every minute of the day. And we're, well, yeah. we're, we're, we're all better for it. We're, we were all grateful for it. All right, let's get into the episode. Of course, as I stated, this is Murder on Middle Beach, episodes one and two. Uh, if you haven't seen it, don't worry, because we're going to break it down as we always do as we go. But uh, if you are interested in watching it, it is on HBO Max here in uh, America. So, we'll give you a little breakdown here. In November of last year, Madison Hamburg released a documentary about his mother, Barbara Beach, who was brutally murdered in front of their home in March 2010. The more that Madison digs into his mother's death, the more family secrets he seems to unearth. Will Madison find evidence that could help find his mother's killer? And what would happen if that evidence points to his own father? So this, of course, this took place in Connecticut, right? Uh, yeah, this was Madison, Connecticut. Which I found so interesting because his name is Madison and it's also the name of the town that we're dealing with. And their street was Middle Beach and her maiden name was Beach. There's a lot of weirdness. He was not born there. Right. They lived in Georgia for a large part of uh, this until... I I can't find an exact year that they moved, but it's got to be like... They, they bought a summer house in Madison uh, in like 1997. So sometime between that and early 2000 is when they like officially moved there. Gotcha. But yeah, I would be weirded out to live in a town that had my, my name. Yeah. 
you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is also a family that the woman, the victim was named Barbara and her mother's name was Barbara and her grandmother's name was Barbara. And then she had a daughter named Barbara. And I get that that's a thing, but I'm just like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of Barbara's. Yeah. You know, but she didn't name her daughter Barbara, right? Her first, her daughter's first name, legal name is Barbara. No way. She's Barbara Alexandra, but she goes by Allie. I wonder if that rubbed somebody the wrong way, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, when you've got like 80 Barbaras and you're at a family function because they seem like a close family where everyone's getting together and someone yells Barbara, every single person's going to look. So you got to like narrow it down yeah that's true I guess I just feel like you know I'm surprised there wasn't more kind of like a series of nicknames you know what I mean like oh bonk like bonk you know (laughs) I don't know where did bonk (laughs) that's bonk Barbara like what Lauren Lauren Ash you are losing your mind you know it's a chi chi you know like is there (laughs) it's like well she spilled chi chi salsa on herself once she forever was known as chi chi from then on like you know that's amazing and I loved all of that thank you very much but I do also want to add very quickly my name is Lauren my mother's name is Laurel it is spelled the same except the last letter so it's L-A-U-R-E-L and L-A-U-R-E-N and I have to tell you those names being that close was a thorn in my side growing up always people were calling us by the wrong names always mixing it up so I, I bonk aside I definitely think that yes, yeah. it would be very confusing in some sort of family setting. I, I this was only yeah. two names that were similar. I can't imagine having, you know, three or four women by the same name at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it seemed based on the documentary that the mother—I don't think the grandmother was around anymore—but the mother went by Barbara or Grammy, which I loved so much, and then the victim went it's everyone who talked about her called her barbie Mm. and then the daughter went by Allie. so i think they kind of had their own thing but at the same time you're still all gonna look i call my kids the wrong names all the time and their names are completely different yeah Yeah. (laughs) like that's just my parent brain has melted completely but listen i get it that's fine but the victim barbara beach hamburg she was of course very beloved and they really kind of they they talked about that a lot that she was like a beautiful spirit like and it did seem that madison the filmmaker he was talking like really affectionately about his mom like it sounded like they had a really kind of beautiful relationship oh definitely i mean this woman she was popular fun she was called a treasure and a shining light And yeah, I mean, he was her firstborn. And I think that they just had an automatic connection. And I mean, at some point, I'm sure I'll get into it. But I feel like there maybe is also a lot of guilt there Mm. on his behalf because she died March 3rd. She had gone to visit him. He was living in Georgia at the time going to film school. She went down to visit him on February 14th of that year. And he was like, sorry, I can't see you. I have a date. And so he never saw her. And then the next time before he got a chance to see her, she had died. So I feel like without him saying it, there's got to be like a layer of guilt in there where he's looking at things 
from a different way and to have somebody that you've only ever seen them in like a positive loving way to have them like just like brutally murdered like it's not like she died quietly or had like a terrible disease like she it was brutal yeah and so to have that happen and for it to be unsolved that has to cause a lot of emotional stuff as well well and yeah you're you're right it doesn't take a therapist although we do a lot of therapy on this show we do to to kind of uh dissect the fact that he is you know devoted his life basically to making this documentary about her and about her murder you're right it does definitely feel like perhaps he is grappling with a lot of those feelings and of course as you alluded to in that beautiful beautifully written synopsis the story and if you've watched these documentaries this series of documentaries you'll know what we're talking about here it just gets wilder and wilder by every moment so I uh I'm sure that he didn't even necessarily realize when he started what it was going to turn into and boy oh boy what a family (laughs) it's it's insane like it's four episodes and we talked about like there's just so much so we're gonna do two in the first one and then we're gonna do two in the other because we didn't want to drag it out to four and do an episode each so we're like we'll do two and so I watched the first two with the plan of I'm just gonna watch these two take my notes and then go research because I don't want to research the next half because we're not doing that yet but I finished those two and was like uh but what if what I researched for this is a spoiler for what's coming up and it would have been and so I was like I am not done so I watched the next two so I did like just like a quick hide myself away in the bedroom put it on the laptop have the cats sleeping with me and I I shrieked multiple times in like a what like and then just like moments where you just like rewind just the littlest bit because you're like I could not possibly have heard that prop like oh yeah the way it was said there's no way that was accurate oh it was like there's a lot even just one or two of these things would be a lot yeah but there's just every time you're like oh that's a lot it's like well buckle up because it's gonna keep going and it just never stops never stops it never stops all right so let's talk about the hamburg family and you know go back to the beginning so barbara beach obviously meets jeff hamburg and these barbara and jeff are of course madison's parents yeah Uh, madison of course again being the filmmaker in case that wasn't clear and then his sister's name is Allie, barbara Allie, from what we just learned so how did they meet i don't remember i don't remember that story they got into it though in the in the show i believe uh i'm not 100 percent sure because i love that like literally the first question you ask me i'm like "Mm, i don't know So then I feel like I didn't really uh, research it right. I got off on different sidetracks. I also wish I'd written it down, but I didn't. There was like an almost 20 years age difference between them. Oh. Which I felt was interesting because he was considerably older than her, uh, which is fine. No uh, shade on them for that. But it was just weird that they never even touched on it. I just noticed their years of birth and was like, oh, that's weird. Interesting. Because that felt like that felt like something to me but I guess it's nothing they I'm not a hundred percent sure when they met but they married in March of 1989 okay it was considered like she was marrying her prince charming 
People thought he was funny and charismatic, which is amazing because when you watch the documentary, those are not words I would use to ever describe him. Nope. Drywall would be one that right. I would choose. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot there. Yeah. So they married in 89. Uh, Madison was born in April of 91 and Allie was born in May of 93. They lived in Georgia at the time, but they had a summer home in Madison they also had nannies. The kids went to private schools. Overall, this family had a very, very privileged life. Yeah. Like there were multiple times they mentioned that the dad was uh, was like a multimillionaire. Yes. And all of this. So at the time of their wedding in 1989, Jeff was the president and CEO of a company called Southern Electric. But then in October of 91, he was fired after an internal investigation of something called the Pego Project in Portugal, which was them building some sort of like power plant in uh, Portugal. He'd only been the president and CEO since 1989. Uh, but I thought it was interesting because the family commented about how their life really changed after he was fired from this company. I didn't realize it happened so soon into their marriage. I thought it was several years later but right. it happened like months after they had their first child. Right. So this goes down in 91. Uh, in 96, Jeff sues Southern Electric, seeking damages for defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and breach of his employment contract. Southern claims they were justified in firing him for gross negligence, willful misconduct, and his blatant insubordination by his efforts to funnel money to foreign partners. Hello. Jeff claims he was a scapegoat. But in the end, he won the court case. He was awarded over $2 million for lost earnings, general damages, and medical expenses. And then a year later, in 97, they buy this summer house in Madison. It's a 7,000-square-foot house. Jesus. Um, I don't know what they paid for it, but years later when they sold it, it sold for like $1.1 million. Okay. So I can't even imagine. But Barb's family was like, him being fired, he became a completely different person. It's like he was always trying to prove himself after that. So he was constantly away. He did a lot of overseas trips, a lot of stuff in like the Middle East and stuff like that. And they said it left Barbara feeling really deserted. And so she ended up filing for divorce in 2001. The courts awarded joint custody of the children. They gave her primary physical custody. He got secondary custody and visitation rights, but was ordered to pay alimony and child support. But he was so angry that she left him that he just outright refused to pay anything at all. Classic. Classic. Now, they went through court for so long. Really, 2001 is when she filed for divorce. They pretty much battled in court until her death in 2010. No, nine years. Um, it wow. Was constant. So 2001, she gets the divorce. They come to an agreement on a separation agreement. The judge is like, yeah, he has to pay alimony and child support. 
Then in September 2002, the divorce is finalized in Georgia because they were still officially living in Georgia. They also agreed at the time that they would create trust accounts for each of the kids so that money could go into there that would be used specifically for educational purposes. So 2005, they're back in court and then the next like solid four years were constant disputes over child support payments because she did not have a job, although her autopsy listed a job as a financial assistant or something like that. But to best of my knowledge, she did not have a job and she's raising two kids on her own. And at one point they did sell the house, but they moved from Georgia to Madison, lived in their summer house, which is so big there were multiple house, multiple buildings on that same property. So he lived in one building and her and the kids lived in another building. And they lived like that for multiple years until they sold the house in 2007. They fought so much over these payments. Uh, Barbara alleged that Jeff owed thousands in alimony and child support and that he was going to take the children out of the country without her consent. He claimed that Barbara failed to pay her half of the mortgage and other expenses, so he had every right to not give her any money. Now, my big thing, as a mother... There it is. If something were to happen in my marriage, God forbid, I would like to think that I'm not going to be so angry that I'm going to deny my children money like the idea of not giving like she's I get that he probably was mad and was like oh well make your own money but it's like or like she was paying for like school she had to cash in a bunch of stuff um to be able to afford some stuff like send her kid to school and all of these things and so it's just crazy to me that he was like no not going to bother. But isn't it also, because here's the other thing. So he was yeah. extremely successful, you know, again, around the time they got married and stuff like that. But after he lost that job, he got into some shady shit, right? And oh, yeah. he also, it appeared, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've watched it more recently than I have, but he lost a lot of money. So I'm curious about how much of this bravado was him creating like oh I'm so mad I'm not gonna pay when in reality it was like he just didn't have the money but his ego just, didn't want to admit oh. that again it's a therapy podcast too <laughs> <laughs> it makes complete sense that a guy who seems like he has such a full ego would just didn't doesn't want to admit that he doesn't have money because to him it's a failure yep and he doesn't want to seem like he can't do better without her because exactly. she's the one that started the divorce so he wants to seem like he's he's better off without her doesn't need her so that is a great point yeah because I just feel like he struck me as the type that would not be super yeah he wouldn't be super happy that he went from you know this in crazy like extreme life of luxury for him and his family to not having that money, being unable to do that, I think that I could easily see that brain of his going, I have to think of another way to justify not paying this money because if I admit to myself that I have failed, I will crumble. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. You know what I mean? Because he continues to outright not pay 
that money. In uh, January of 2009, Barbara, back to court, files a motion for contempt against Jeff for failing to pay the agreed upon educational expenses and medical expenses for the children. Because also before this, um, I'm only hitting on it briefly. We'll get into it in the next episode because I didn't look into it far enough. But yeah, their daughter spent like six weeks in a hospital as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, maybe uh, help out with that. Yeah. Because it's your own child. But again, you've got a great point. Maybe he just financially could not. So that was January. Then in December of 2009, there was a file ordered that his Jeff's employer at the time would withhold a portion of his income for the sake of child support to be given to his ex-wife. Then February 2010 rolls around and it's a hearing for them to figure all this stuff out. So the court's like, you've got to pay this amount of money. The next time we convene, if you do not have this small portion of what you owe, jail you're done the next time they're supposed to meet in court is march 3rd 2010 it's at family court it's to see if he's gonna pay up or go to jail and both of the lawyers are there and jeff is there but barbara does not show up and why dear listeners does barbara not show up she's dead Okay, Could've. I loved everything about that little journey. <laughs> I was trying so hard to go for like a dramatic thing and then it, it just was turned great. into... Oh no, it worked. It, it worked. Felt, it felt like a little crass more than anything. No, I think but. it worked. And I, I, the only reason you didn't get a bigger reaction out of me is that it is in our notes. So in the timeline here. So I knew where this yeah. was going, but I also yeah. sat back. I was like, let her, let her take them on this little, this little ride. You know what I mean? <laughs> toot, toot. Yeah. Uh, Brandy, uh, Brandy uh, Jr. here. Yeah. So this is wild. So, okay. The first thing I have to say just out of the gate, just as a quick yeah. aside, is there is so much motive for, for Jeff. To have committed this murder, right? A hundred percent. So much motive. He's been in these court battles with Barbara literally for, as you said, about nine years at this point. At this point, the fact that she was killed on the day that they were due in court and the fact that it was a very convenient alibi for him. Mm -hmm. Well, I was was where I was supposed to be. All of that, just again, is an alarm bell, red flag, waving in the air to me that it's like this yeah. feels like this guy's got to have something to do with this i know i'm getting ahead of myself but i just had to say that absolutely what are the odds and like in that moment because that's if you want a, a your chance to get out of a day of court or for court, court to get postponed well that'd be it <laughs> it's a pretty you know? definitive way to get out of it yeah yeah so it just feels crazy we're looking at wednesday March 3rd, 2010, uh, at 11.25 a.m., Madison police receive a 911 call reporting an injured person at 44 Middle Beach Road. Barbara Hamburg, uh, who is 48, was declared dead at the scene by first responders, cause of death, blunt force trauma, and multiple sharp force injuries. She was stabbed about 18 times in the head and the neck, Oh, my God. There were defensive wounds on her hands. Uh, At the time, her son, Madison, was at Savannah College Film School. 
and her daughter Allie went to the local high school. So Allie, I think Madison would have been about 18. Allie would have been about 16. Someone can do the math based on the years that they were born, but I'm already too far into this. I can't. Don't fight it. Yeah, I know. Her, one of Barbara's sisters, Conway, said, uh, we miss her dearly and it is a great loss to not have her with us, but it is an honor and a privilege to take care of her children, which I find wildly fascinating that yeah. the dad wouldn't step in to take care of the children in this time. And I also found that numerous agencies worked with Madison police to investigate the murder, including the FBI and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Why did they get involved? Why did they get involved? <laughs> That's interesting. Why did they get involved, right? There's something yeah. like, thanks for that breadcrumb, but don't lead it anywhere. Like, that's that. there's something about that. I don't know if... Any of my notes actually bring us back around to it, but I, there's like, it's weird. Immigration doesn't get involved for like a, a born, like a, she was American born. So what killed in America? Well, yeah. but again, and I know that, that maybe this is my own bias because it's like, I'm already building a case against Jeff, but we do know for a fact that his job did take him out of the country pretty much full-time, especially to the Middle East. So it does feel like, mm -hmm. again, with, with this little information that, that you've already given me, it does feel like, well, again, that's another sign that could point to him. I don't know how or why they would get involved in the murder investigation unless, again, did he hire someone from another country to do this murder? You know what I mean? Like, is there some t sort of deal like that going on? He is... So sketchy. There has to be something. I mean, yeah. he instantly is the number one suspect. I mean, on the day of her death, she was supposed to be in court. He'd been ordered to make payments. He didn't make them. He was going to be put in jail. He obviously didn't have the money in that moment to pay or was just still refusing to. So it's like he would have gone to jail that day if she'd showed up. But she didn't. And yes, she died at a time where he was supposedly around other people. But it's like, okay. I mean, I it, the time-wise, I guess he wouldn't have had time to kill her and get to the courthouse by the time she was found. With, but still, I still, and it's coming up later, but I still think he hired somebody. Yeah. It's just too sketchy. Um, also, at the time... Uh, he was about a million dollars in debt. Whoa. He owed 153000 to Barbara for alimony. He owed about 324000 to his kids for child support. And he had borrowed just a cool half a mil from his sister. Wow. Which is crazy because it's like if he's got that kind of money, like if he borrowed $500,000, what do he do with it? You know? Well, enter Border Patrol. <laughs> that's a great that's And a the great FBI, point. right? Like, yeah, yeah, what yeah. did he do with that money? You know, it just yeah. feels like, again, and there's so many, there's so many other things that we're going to get to both in this episode and the next one, don't you worry. Yeah. But it does feel like, my God, if ever there was a reason, and I'm not saying that I would do this, I have to make that very clear. But sure. if ever there was a motive for someone to commit a murder, 
Yeah. This person is broke. He is deeply in debt. He has no way out of that debt. And he knows he's going to go to jail that day if she shows up to court and she mm-hmm. doesn't show. I mean, I, I, again, I know there it's, are more suspects and I want to get into all of them, obviously, but it does just feel, and again, it's a perfect alibi. Like you said, it's like, yeah. well, he probably didn't have enough time, so that proves that he didn't physically do it, but that doesn't prove that that half a million dollars didn't go towards somebody doing it. That's a great point. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's why he couldn't afford it, because he was trying to pay off somebody to kill her. So I could see it. So they were supposed to have the court date March 3rd. Yeah. But obviously, she didn't show up. They didn't know why, but without her there, they're like, well, we can't do anything. Reconvene. So they reconvene March 12th. And Jeff failed to show up. Does he think he doesn't have to come back to ju- come back to court because she's dead? I would say he's not the brightest, but I think he's a lot more deviously clever mm. than we realize. So he doesn't show up. But like 30 minutes before he was supposed to be there, his lawyers were like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're he's filing for bankruptcy. So here you go. So he apparently had started to file in 2009, but just never completed them. But this was the moment that his lawyers were like, yep, we're going for bankruptcy. Filing for bankruptcy in that moment would liquidate his debt, terminate the order that had his employer cut his wages. um, So it would stop giving any child support that would then go to his ex-wife's estate. But for somebody who potentially had no money, he had a different lawyer, like he had a bankruptcy lawyer, he had a criminal lawyer, he had a family lawyer for the divorce stuff, like he had multiple different lawyers. Wow. But yet couldn't just pay, like help pay for stuff for his own children. Like that's, that's where I draw the line, I think, I think on that. Well, listen, I mean, I think if nothing else, we are definitely uh, getting a real viewpoint into the character of uh, Jeff Hamburg. Now, then again, that being said, being a shitty person does not a murderer make. It does not mean that that automatically means that you killed somebody. So just means you're a deadbeat. Yeah, (laughs) it means you're a deadbeat. Absolutely. But listen, let's take a quick break. Get another drink. Hit the loo if you need to. And then we're going to get right back into Murder on Middle Beach, the case of the murder of Barbara Beach Hamburg. What's up, everybody? This is Lauren Ash, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. A couple of quick reminders. If you're looking for any of the visuals Christy mentions in this or any of our episodes of the podcast, make sure to follow us at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram. There she posts a case file with all the relevant visuals for each episode of the show. If that's not enough for you, you want a little bit more, go to our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com. There, Christy posts extensive virtual case files. This is literally everything she finds in her research it's a treasure trove of deep dives and it's all there for your enjoyment also on the website you can find our full unedited zoom episodes of the show if you'd like to watch rather than listen and make sure to give us a follow on facebook at true crime and cocktails twitter at not detectives and the most important piece of information if you like the show please wherever you listen to it give us a nice rating go on to apple leave us a nice review i know it sounds like a silly cliche but the truth is it really goes a long way in this crazy podcast world and your support means the world to us but enough about all that get yourself another drink sit back and enjoy the rest of the show 
Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. We left off talking about Jeff Hamburg, sketchy motherfucker, (laughs) and the ex-husband of Barbara Beach Hamburg, who, of course, is our unfortunate victim in this case. Let's get back into, of course, the, the, the tragic murder of Barbara. Obviously, she was found in the yard of their of their own home right yeah of her own home and and the timeline a little bit and i don't know you may get into this in next in the next episode but just very quickly i think it's important to note that she did get up and take Allie, her daughter to school yeah and then she had come home so and of course as we know madison the son the filmmaker he is away at school so she is feasibly alone in the home when this crime happened and she was found outside in the lawn, like on the lawn in the yard, covered with some like, like uh, it seemed to be like patio cushions yeah, or something. Yeah, from lawn furniture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from lawn furniture. It yes. looked like she took her daughter to school and then never got back inside the house because all of her stuff was outside the front door, kind of scattered on the lawn, and then there was a pool of blood uh, on one part of the lawn that they had put like a big wooden pallet on top of because there were pallets leaning up against the house. And then they like dragged her around the side, put her in like a flower bed and then covered her with cushions. And I also just want to say, you know, you hear about cases with stabbings, which I mean, uh, brutal, awful, uh, grisly, obviously. But I feel like a lot of stabbings don't normally focus on the head and neck. There's something that's really interesting in a of course horrific way but that's really interesting to me because they often talk about like if there's a lot a lot of stabs that it can be a crime of passion for example but it's like somebody who's got a lot of rage a lot of anger a lot of overkill but focusing on the face the head the neck it's it's and i'm not i this is like not a joke legit i'm not trying to be crass but it's hard to stab those parts of the body you know what sure. I mean? Like, it's hard to stab someone's face. If you're going to stab the body, it's there's a lot, there's more flesh. It's like, it's an yeah. easier thing to do. So it just makes me, I'm just deathly fascinated by how did this go? You know what I mean? Did she get jumped from behind? Did she, was she, was she already dead or, or passed out when these additional stabs happened? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just yeah. feel like there's something about the way she died that obviously has to connect to the truth but i mean again i'm i i said recently earnestly i really do feel like i could be an fbi profiler and and i wish that maybe i had done that with my life <laughs> still but time th- yeah right Ooh, maybe that's my second career in life that would be amazing um but you know what i mean like that's something that does stand out to me about this case yeah. is that it just feels like that is not a common Maybe it's more common than you think. Maybe I'm completely wrong here. But I do just feel like you don't hear about, like, she was stabbed 18 times in the head and neck. That just feels... What if, and I don't have an exact answer. I'm just coming up with it as I go. What if... We're noodling. She's getting to the house. Yeah. She's coming up to the front door. Someone comes from behind her, surprises her, like, grabs her, and, like, does one stab, but it's her adrenaline's going at this point and it's like she does a flight so she takes off across like throws her purse takes off across the lawn and they catch up with her and yeah maybe it's like maybe it's pinning her down because if they sit if you like sit on somebody's chest and make it so they can't get up 
and she can't fight back as much, then most of what you're going to be stabbing at is going to be her neck and her face. That's a good point. I guess it is also, now I'm going to get into it even deeper. Yeah. I guess for me it's also like, that sounds like something a serial killer would do. Like it sounds like that's like yeah. a... A, a pattern of a serial killer and I don't necessarily think that she's a I, we, there was nothing in there that talked about a p- potential serial killer involved so again it's like because I think that it's I don't need to explain to people that taking a life is, is a serious thing but like shooting a gun at killing somebody feels like a contract killing do you know what I'm saying yeah it's like that feels like I hired someone this person did the job terrible awful bam done sure but if he did, I'm just running for a second here that Jeff potentially did hire someone. Did he say? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we, I need you to kill my wife. I need you to stab her in the head. Like, it just feels like, I don't know. I'm, I really just am very fascinated about how that will eventually tie in when they, you know, God willing, solve the case. Because it doesn't feel to me like an expert killing. That doesn't feel like, unless it's like, were they trying to make it seem like this was a crime of passion when it wasn't or vice versa. Was it trying to seem like it was a serial killer, a random act of violence when it was actually a contract? I don't know. Again, I don't have any of the answers to this. And if you listening have a theory, email us theories at truecrimeandcocktails.com. Thank you very much. Just organically. But anyway, so that's just the one thing I wanted to mention before we got back into our regularly, regularly scheduled. Again, not a drop, (laughs) not a drop. It's, it's becoming troubling becoming troubling okay so back again to that part of the case talk to me about the dna situation so from what i gather the good lord the people in the suits that come in and dust things the 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 lab techs the crime techs yeah the forensics the forensics people we're doing great (laughs) uh so they come in they check out the scene uh, they get DNA and they tell Barbara's family they want to wait to run it because they're getting this new DNA lab that's being built and they want to run it at this lab. And the family's just like, okay. And so it takes six months for them to test this DNA. In a murder case. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Another red flag has just gotten flown up into the air because that's weird. Anyway, 100%. continue. 100%. The DNA kit that they used turned out to be faulty. And then within a couple of months of this building being built, the lab lost its accreditation in the forensic world. No. Uh, In August of 2011, the American Society of Crime Laboratory directors refused to extend their accreditation because of two critical federal audits. Oh, my God. So backlogs at this lab were the longest in the nation, which is crazy. There was chronic understaffing and, quote, other issues. (laughs) So the thing with her, though, they did uh, they did the autopsy, gave all their did took all the DNA under the fingernails, all of this kind of stuff. And then just as they do immediately cremated her body. When you hear that in these stories, I'm always just like, I shake my head. Yeah. Hours after failing to appear in court, Jeff 
agreed to give DNA and hair samples to the police. The D- Now, they repeatedly said, like, the DNA kits were faulty, we didn't get all the proper DNA, but yet they immediately can tell us the DNA did not match Jeff. Which is crazy to me, I'd like to understand that. They said the small amount of DNA they collected remains unidentified. So, I don't know if I really trust the police in this city to begin with. I know that the police right. aren't the ones collecting DNA, but the police in Madison at the time, now the murder happened in 2010. If we go back to like 2007, the Madison Police Department was a complete laughing stock. The community paid roughly $3 million a year in tax money to fund this department. They even put, like, paid a bunch of taxes to get a new building for the police department in 2000. So between 2006 and 2009, eight of these cops were either charged, fired, or under investigation in some way. Jesus Six of them were fired, one was reinstated, and the chief of police retired early after a settlement. I bet he did. (laughs) I just want to point out, the town of Madison, their population's around 18,000. Their police department is like 25 or less. (laughs) So, to have eight be in some sort of an investigation feels terrifying to me. One officer in particular had 50 departmental charges against him. Oh my God. So I just want to give you a fun list that I made. And I really enjoyed looking up this list and getting this list um, of different charges that came to these different police Uh. officers. Yes, please. Going to massage parlors and strip clubs while they were on duty. That also includes having sex with the women at these clubs while on duty. Stop. Establishing a motorcycle gang. (laughs) Workers' compensation fraud. Consorting with ex-cons while on duty. Oh, my God. Uh, Falsifying information and manipulating investigations. (laughs) This is one of my favorites only because it's it's like, wait, ew. One looked up the names of women he knew on the police computers. <laughs> Which, <laughs> well, hold on a second here. Because if you had your choice and I, access to a police computer. I would get computer. charged with that. <laughs> I would have a similar charge. Absolutely. Uh, threat, threatening uh, witnesses. Oh, my God. Four officers frequently meeting with prostitutes during midnight shifts. Oh, God. This included two officers that often used a place that was known for human trafficking. Oh, my God. To which I say, if you know it, do something about it. (laughs) You know? Oh, wow. One officer was allowed to be an advisor to a youth group that was called the Police Department Explorer Post. Mm. He was advising this group for four months, despite the fact that during which he was being investigated for having a sexual relationship with one of those teens. 
Stop. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, this is awful. Yeah. Does the list keep going? Uh, there's only one more, but it's my Still. it's my favorite because it's 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 awful, but it's also it's it's just so silly. I didn't think I'd ever say some of these words <laughs> on this podcast ever. One officer was convicted of stealing $900 worth of lobsters and shrimp from a local restaurant, as well as over $500 worth of gasoline from the town's public works garage. I never thought I would say the words lobster and shrimp to you in this, unless you're like, what's your seafood levels at? But there we have it. Oh, Wow. Okay, yeah. we're going to need to take a quick pause because I need to unpack a lot of information that was just given to me. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, first of all, I'm going to go all over the place. Please. I was going to say I'm going to work in an order. I'm no, not. Don't. First of all, <laughs> did he bring a bag? Like how do you steal lobster? Were the lobsters alive? I have a lot of questions about that. I assume that. it was in multiple times. Oh I assume he didn't like, every literally time he goes- take 900. Like maybe he just every time he's near there just like a lobster in his pants and away he goes you know oh my god okay yeah. that's the first thing Please, yeah. that's amazing secondly what was the name of their motorcycle gang you know what kind of nerds these cops like you're already in a gang you nerds you're in the gang it's called the police <laughs> your life is a gang why on earth would you be like hey guys you know what else we need to do we need to get our hogs out here and start our own motorcycle gang <laughs> Thank you for hogs. Thank you very um, much. Maybe you maybe they I'm were saying? just inspired like, by the John Travolta, Tim Allen movie Wild Hogs. Oh, There my was a God. third man in that movie. Who was the third wild hog? I'm blanking. <laughs> ah, shit. I'm blanking. Yeah. It'll come to you. Yeah. I bet you it'll come well, to you. Well, when um, I Google it on the sly, it'll come to me. Yep. Yeah, keep going because I got more things to talk about. So Google wild hogs while I go on this rant. We'll uh, we can multitask. Yeah. Point being, it, so there's funny ones in there, obviously. Yes. But but where it starts to break down, obviously, is having sex with strippers while on the clock, mm-hmm. having sex with prostitutes ever. Uh, and then, of course, the very, the darkness of, the, the trafficking and then the potential relationship between a police officer and a teen. I am going to say one thing right away. Yes, please. I hear all of that and I go, I wonder if these are a group of people who would be willing to accept thousands of dollars from a man who borrowed $500,000 from his sister to cover up the murder of his ex-wife. Oh. Because you've just painted a picture for me that there are a lot of police officers in that specific precinct. Yeah that don't have a problem breaking the law. You said that one of the things was that they had changed, they had fraud, they had changed evidence, like all these things. Again, literally not only turning a blind eye to to sex trafficking, but partaking in it. That wouldn't be a group of people that I would say, oh, they may be having sex with people that are doing it against their will, uh, but they wouldn't take a bribe. Come on. Come on. The two things go hand in hand. Isn't taking a bribe like the lowest end of like what a cop would do? A bad cop. I we would, know there are good I cops. Would, We're just. I would think that that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to all of these things, I would say that taking a bribe would be a lesser offense. Again, yeah. than. I mean, well, other than the lobster stealing, I suppose. I uh, I have a fun thing to say to you. 
Is and it about I'm wild say, hogs? Update. <laughs> it's about wild hogs. <laughs> I only bring this up because I'm fascinated. There were four of them. Oh. I thought there were only three for some reason, and now I feel like an asshole. But no. it was John Travolta, Tim Allen, Martin Lawrence. Oh. And William H. Macy. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So well. that's my first update, and I couldn't be th- more thrilled about it, uh, that my update was William H. Macy. Ah, uh, yes. First of all, thank you so much, yeah. Mr. Felicity Huffman himself. My question to you is, what was the movie with all of the older comic gentlemen that were going on the water slide? What was that one? Wasn't that like a Wild Hogs? The only thing I can think of on a water slide is um, Grown Ups. It was like, that's what I'm thinking of. I wasn't that like that David Spade? Older and older gentlemen. I was... Wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah, it's David Spade and like... Uh, Adam Sandler, Kevin, Kevin James, James. yep, and Rob Schneider, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen it, but I'm not 100%. Well, listen, maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know, that's that's podcast six, a movie podcast, where it's me IMDBing the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) You're just on IMDB while I'm ranting about something like a lunatic. All right, back to the shady Madison Police Department. Okay, so, yeah, what what I've learned from what you've just explained to me is that these cops cannot be trusted. And I am, am again, building this case against Jeff Hamburg that he has paid people off because the other thing I wanted to say was they got DNA from under her fingernails so obviously she was fighting back during her unfortunate attack and murder yes first of all I would want to believe and listen I I don't know I'm not an expert but I would like to think that you DNA is spoiler alert very tiny so you only need a very small amount of it to test sure. so to me the excuse that it's like well we're getting a new machine in six months let's pause it's like well couldn't you run some now with the machine you have now and then i don't know run some of the leftovers in six months like that doesn't hold water for me mm-hmm. and then also the idea that it was like oh also just kidding we we took it wrong or the tests were faulty or whatever like it just feels like lies. Like, it feels like the first thing was a lie. It feels like the second thing was a lie. And I wanted to ask you, and I'm so sorry if this is jumping ahead to what we would be talking about in the next I episode. Can't but there was a moment in, I believe, episode one when Madison goes in, and, and of course, he tape recorded himself talking to the cops, which I think is amazing. This, this whole runner through all four episodes. Yes. So great. But in that episode, they kind of start to pin it on him. And they're saying, they're like, we found DNA, and it is a, it is a Hamburg man. Didn't they? I remember them making a reference to that. That sound. Oh, she's got a she's sound, got a coy look uh, on her face. That sound is me <laughs> checking the notes that I have. Yeah, we're gonna bust this out. So yeah, let's do it. They found he goes in the the d- director of this whole thing and the victim's son goes in, talks to a detective Neil Mulhern. The detective's like, so uh, you still a you still a smoker? And Madison's like, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, there was a cigarette found at the scene. And he's like, oh, it comes back to me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. So uh, DNA under her fingernails. It's from the male Hamburg lineage. 
which I loved that choice of words. And then they just let him stew in it for a few seconds. And then they go, well, with everything you know, who do you think did this? So that was the moment that I felt that they were trying to convince him very poorly and sloppily to just like, if we push it and we're like, all the DNA we have seems to point to you that he might be like, oh my God, and accidentally confess. And then they can just close the book and call it a case. You know? Because, so was that true? The 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 fingernail, the DNA under the fingernail, because I feel like they never got back to that. And so because to me, I was like, but wait a minute, if it's a male if Hamburg of the male lineage yeah. or whatever, like then it would have to be him or, or his dad or 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 yeah, him or Jeff. Or maybe there's another male Hamburg we don't know about, like an uncle or a sure or whatever. Sure. But regardless, the point is, is that all signs would point to I don't know her extremely angry and vindictive ex-husband <laughs> yeah um so if that again if that isn't true you're right that's an insane way for them to just try and manipulate yeah. madison into making some sort of false confession but if it is true then why haven't they just made an arrest yeah i unfortunately i looked i can't find her autopsy report anywhere mm. so i'm going based on all of the articles i found online and the stuff that they said in the episode and that's pretty much all they ever bring up about the DNA. And so it's mm. like, if I I have a feeling that they were like, maybe they do have a cigarette butt that was his from like the last time he was in town or something. But I have a feeling that the, maybe there they got DNA from her fingernails, but I have a feeling that it wasn't. It's either nobody well, it or would... they, you know, because again, it seems like there were only two in the area and they're just so quick to be like oh well it's not jeff obviously and then there's only one male that it could well be. it would be an insane level of cover-up if madison murdered his mother and then made an entire four-part documentary series as an elusive as a very elaborate cover trying to point people away from him you know well keep that level of surprise when i bring him up under my theories section because again, you have to look at everybody. Everybody, you do. everybody's guilty. You do. If you're gonna do this and you're gonna do it right, and you're gonna get your scumbag, everybody is guilty. Yeah. So you have to look at everybody just to see. I guess instead of saying everybody's guilty, I should rephrase that. No one is innocent. So you just gotta check through everybody. And so there was a part of me which takes me back to Death in Oslo. Where I commented, like, wouldn't it be crazy if this was a movie, the killer would be this reporter who's been doing this story and hounding it for, like, 25 years. And so there was a part of me watching this whole thing where I'm like, you would have to be a special level of, like, sociopath. Although this may be, you have a more uh, profiler brain that you can probably correct my terminology there. You just said one of my favorite words. Continue. So it's like you'd have to be a special level to be like, you know what? I've done this. I'm going to do just enough that I can keep talking to people about it and hearing people be house like talking to her family and friends who knew her and are devastated that this happened and hearing 
about what I did over and over again and just putting just enough information to make people excited about, but making sure to leave out very key pieces of information so they wouldn't know it was in fact me and then showing it to the world. Like that's, I don't believe that's who he is. I obviously don't know him, but I don't think that's who he is. But there is that part of me that's like, there, you can't tell me that kind of like that level, again, I say sociopath, but again, I don't know. You know those kinds of things better than I do. There's There are those levels out there. Oh, yeah. So he could have worked with Allie. They could have worked as a duo, him and his sister. You know what I mean? Like there could have been a, there could have been collusion because I will also say, and I know that we're probably going to get into this in the next episode, but Allie doesn't come off like a warm hug in the documentary. She's yeah. very kind of... It feels very closed off. Um, they seem to have a good relationship, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's very interesting. Yeah. Very I mean, a lot of things online describe this whole documentary as the case with almost too many suspects because there are so yeah. many people and we're only going to get into a few of them today, but there's just, there's a lot. This family is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It's basically True. what I'm going to say. Yeah. So after after this whole deal of they they try to do the court case again, they try that new court date and then Jeff just doesn't show up. At that point, then they want to continue on, but obviously because Barbara is dead, they can't she can't exactly show up to court anymore. So her brother Richard uh took over as administrator of her estate. And therefore, he started going to court proceedings on her behalf, and he filed a motion to become the substitute plaintiff. And Jeff, no obligation to that whatsoever. Richard, knock yourself out. You can be the plaintiff now. So Jeff was totally cool with that. So then between April 2010 and February of 2012, Jeff and Richard would be in court many times still trying to get that money for her estate. This does not benefit Richard in any way. He's trying to get this to happen so the kids can have something. So the excuses Jeff gave for not paying, even though he'd been employed in the recent years, he said he didn't actually receive a paycheck, but rather the, the company paid his living expenses and like his apartment on Park Avenue in New York which I'll point out, and different overseas trips. So since he didn't get like a physical paycheck, well, they couldn't garnish his wages. Oh, boy. Which is bananas. Then he was also like, well, but I have debts of like 500000 he borrowed from his sister, Marsha, who was in the one of the later episodes of the documentary, just very briefly. And he said he also had loans that he received from business associates in the Middle East. So it's like, I've already got too much debt. Sorry, guys. It's like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So uh, in March of 2011, this would be just over a year after uh, Barbara was killed, police receive a complaint that Jeff had taken money from the trust accounts of his children. No. Then in September of that year, Jeff was arrested and charged with first degree larceny 
Somehow he managed to post the $50,000 bail. Ugh. So the question then becomes, well, where did this complaint come from? Who told the police about this? And the answer is Jeff's daughter, Allie. Whoa. So Allie says that her mother, Barbara, learned of the larceny during the civil proceedings in family court back in 2009. In August of 2009, Jeff made a wire transfer of over $18,000 from his daughter's trust account, listed the reason as, quote, pay college tuition. But at the time... Allie was living with her mother and attended a local high school for free. The warrant also says he had large withdrawals from the account starting in February of 2006, at which time his daughter would have been 13. So let's keep that in mind. Uh, the balance had be, had started out as about $106,000. And by October of that year, so like what, six months later, it was down to $900. Oh, wow. The rem- That's awful. Yeah. The, then it continues to go down, and the remaining balance, which was about $400, was taken out just two weeks before Barbara dies. So he literally drained the account. Yeah. I also want to point out, each kid had an account. I assume Madison would have been using some of it because the purpose of it was education and he was attending film school. Uh, Police found that Jeff also transferred more than $100,000 from Madison's trust account to his own account. But Madison chose not to press charges. That's interesting. Yeah, there is a whole thing like Madison does... um, see his father like really the only time you see his father in the documentary is when madison is like secretly filming him he will like place a wire on himself somewhere and they'll sit at a very specific spot in a restaurant where he has friends with a camera across the street like looking in the window to watch them so for the most part his dad had no idea he was being filmed for most of that documentary uh but the dad still doesn't come across as warm and fuzzy to me. I get that I will never, like, I don't understand what it's like to have a parent, especially the one you're closest to, be brutally murdered when you're younger. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, he doesn't want to suddenly have no parents, so he'd rather have one shitty one than none. But I just, the entire time, I'm like, I don't understand why you have anything to do with this with your dad like all I would have to hear is growing up it's like well he's so angry at your mom and like the kids both said that he would always say like how terrible their mom was when they're divorced because there was so much anger there but if I heard that like my parents were specifically not willing to pay for certain things or pay child support I would probably really and here we go shrink I would harbor that and just be like, well, then I don't want a relationship with you if as a child you weren't willing to put money towards like my education and then to find out that he stole from you. I mean, I I get, I bet you in Jeff's mind, it's not stealing because he was like, it was my money to begin with. So I need it. It's my money now. I bet you that's how he rationalizes it to himself. You know, it's very interesting because Madison does allude at some point in the documentary too that it's like, that he fears 
that his father is going to no longer want a relationship with him. Yeah. But it sounded like also they barely have a relationship, you know, at the time of, of filming that. They, they didn't really spend a lot of time together. He was trying to kind of make amends with his dad. Yeah. And the other thing, to your point, I, I totally agree with you. And I'll just add to that, you know, also his mom is murdered in this terrible way. Yeah. His dad didn't really seemingly step up during that time. And then every time Madison asks him about the mother's death mm-hmm. the dad is like will not talk about it gets angry gets heated is like accusatory you know which again doesn't make him sound innocent at all nope. and it certainly even if he is innocent does not make him sound i don't know sensitive to his child's loss of a parent yeah you know like it's 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 weird and and you're right it's it is interesting to go back to the fact that when he and Barbara first got married people described him as like happy-go-lucky and fun and funny and all the above because he seems like yeah he seems like he has some sort of personality disorder he seems like a complete monster yeah I mean at one point when he's talking to Madison he's makes a comment like he always brushes off all of his questions about his mother especially questions about her murder but he uh Madison outright asked Jeff like did you have anything to do with this? And he's just like, I'm not going to talk about it. He never says, no, I didn't do this. He's always just like, I've already told you, I'm not going to talk about this. Your mother, you didn't know her. She was a completely different person. Even I didn't know her. She was really vindictive. And uh, also at one point he was like, you know what? She was the love of my life. And it's like, make, pick a lane, pick a lane, Jeff. You know, is she this horrible, horrible person or was she actually like this wonderful person that you loved and then she wanted away from you and that turned you against her? Like, you know what I mean? Like, or, or, you know, maybe was he the reason, you know what I mean? Like he lost everything. He started to do some sort of shady overseas business deals. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't want to be a part of this. And that's what ended the relationship. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It doesn't seem, you know, from everything that I, I, I took away from it, it was like, it didn't seem to me like Jeff wasn't the cause of their divorce, you know, right? in some way or another. But there is some things that we need to get into, obviously, about Barbara that we have not gotten into yet. Yes. And the first of which is, is alcohol. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about that. Because yeah. this, was, this was an interesting kind of facet to this documentary, I thought. Yeah. Um, apparently... After they divorced, Barbara really started drinking. Apparently her father, I believe, and their six kids in their family, three boys, three girls, all three of the girls in this family, but none of the boys uh, suffered from alcoholism. Like all three of them. Uh, Barbara got arrested for a DUI, but then went for treatment, got sober she cashed out an IRA to get money to help like raise her children. But then she like, they called it like a, she really worked the program. She did Alcoholics Anonymous. She became, oh fuck, what's it called? When you're- Poster child? (laughs) No, uh, like when you're somebody's sponsor, she became a sponsor for people. There it is. And she was really supportive and people in the program were like, she was a shining light. She was just such this- a wonderful woman and so yeah like you have a relationship fall apart and then you're going through all these like really messy 
court things for almost a decade. So yeah, like although I guess at that point it hadn't been that long, but she did have a problem. But she seems it seems like she worked through most of that, from my understanding. Right. Yeah. Which is great. But it is interesting to me, you know, that I feel like Jeff tried to paint it that it was like, you know, she was this, she had all these problems. She was so troubled. She was whatever. She had a secret life. And it was like, well, maybe she was also just trying to cope. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Jeff is also like, he was charged, he, he was arrested for larceny two separate times, all because of this whole stealing from his own children. Um, and in 2015, he turns around and was like, look, I'm 66 years old. I have a debilitating back injury. I'm unemployed and I don't have the financially financial ability to pay the funds requested by Barbara's estate. And you know what? My children are the age of majority now. So can't we just call it? So like he spends a decade just coming up with excuse after excuse and then finally is like haven't we waited long enough can't we just like let it go and it's like or just be a better human being jeff maybe well yeah it also just doesn't always work that way he did also admit in court that he used his children's funds for personal reasons so (sighs) there's no hiding it he admitted to doing it he's done like he has not been punished for it in any way but that's not it's also so interesting to me that he claimed you know well I don't get a paycheck so therefore I can't whatever and it's like uh you know they they just pay for my apartment on Park Avenue and all my travel it's like right and they leave a briefcase full of hundred dollar bills somewhere for you like you know what I mean like you not having a paycheck does not prove that you were not paid to do that job anyway and also Park Avenue I know that I don't know a lot about New York but I know enough to know Park Avenue is pretty ritzy. <laughs> like I looked up. Yeah. I found his address and I found the exact apartment. I don't believe he currently lives there, but it's like a $2.2 million apartment. So it's like, okay, I'm not saying he owned it, but right. that's not going to be cheap to rent out either. So no, good God, you had money somewhere. It's just yeah. It was just hidden. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So let's get into a little something they got into oh, called the gifting tables because God. this is when this this documentary took its first big turn for me, where I was like, "What?" Yeah. Well, <laughs> heads up because you're gonna want to go to uh, True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram because this has a visual. Because I realize when I'm describing this, you're gonna need something to look at to be like, yep. "What the fuck is she talking about?" Because it's very confusing. I had never heard of this thing before. But so around 2008, uh, Barbara's Aunt Jill and a friend named Donna start this women's group that's called the Gifting Tables. They consider the group Women Helping Women and that it, quote, brought women together and gave people more self-confidence. The way it works... This, you have a group of women, they get really dressed up in their fanciest outfits, all dolled up and everything, once a week and have a dinner. One woman gives $5,000 to join this group 
And she has, by paying $5,000, she's become the appetizer level. Now here's where we get our, uh, our visual out. I hope it's okay because again, it's a lot, there's a lot of black and white here, but it's fine. We can see what's yep. happening. So for $5,000, you become the appetizer level. One of these sad little ones down there. If you bring in two more women, you bump up to the next level, which is the soup and salad level. And then there are <laughs> the two women you brought in are now the appetizers below you. Right. When each of these two women bring in a whim- woman, you then bump up again to the entree level. And then when those women bring in two women each, you bump all the way up to the top, which is called the dessert level. And you get your just desserts of $40,000. So you get all of the women who paid 5000 It goes right to the person at the top, right? Yes. So... This is a Ponzi scheme, it's right? A, Isn't that- it's a hundred percent just a full <laughs> illegal pyramid scheme. Yeah, because these women, they, they, to the, to this day, they still are like, there was nothing wrong with it. We were just a bunch of women getting together, having this whole thing. Some of these women, sure, had five thousand dollars cash, but if their friend didn't, and was like, I really need money, and they're like, Well, you know what? You can make forty grand really quick, and you want to know how? You're just going to need $5,000. And they're like, well, I don't have 5000 So they're like, well, you know what you could do? Second mortgage on the house. Sell your car. Do all of this. But whatever you do, don't tell your husband. So this oh is just God. bananas to me. They said at one point, like, so Jill brings Barbara into this. Jill and Donna were like kind of bigwigs in this. And kind of running it. And they brought Barbara in. And Barbara was doing so well. It kind of became the three of them. And then Barbara started bringing in women from AA. And they said it kind of got out of hand. Because there's a lot of people. The whole point of if you're going to make money off of this. You have to keep bringing women in who have this $5,000. So this top tier level can keep getting paid. And then once you hit this top level and you get paid. You take some of that money. And if you want, you go join another two tables. Go put $5,000 at a couple of different tables. There could be so many tables going at once. So this thing ran until 2011. Several women complained that they either never reached the top tier or that they did reach the top and didn't receive any money. In May 2012, Jill and Donna... And a third woman who wasn't in the documentary named Bet, Bet Jane, Betty Jane, uh, were arrested on charges of filing false tax returns, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and conspiracy to defraud the IRS. Jesus. There was a list of women who made money off of this and all, like the total was over $2 million for um, all of them. During the investigation, a member of these gifting tables claimed that she found a severed rabbit head on her lawn as though it was like a threat to like, don't say anything kind of thing. But Donna, who was 56 at the time, was sentenced to six years in jail. Jill was 65 and sentenced to four and a half years. After she got out of jail, Jill said, I'm ashamed to my family, but... They're all ignorant. 
because it, which was one of my favorite moments because it just threw me because I was like, even after all of this, she did jail time, but she's still like, it's just a club. I don't get it. What's the big deal? And it's like, well, there's a lot of big deals with the Ponzi schemes. So when Barbara was murdered, because someone's murdered and you're trying to look into them and what could possibly be going on, the police took her computer and they found very, very detailed information about the gifting tables because you have to keep very close eye on who's at what table, who's at what tier and all of this kind of stuff. So her murder was a catalyst to the investigation for this whole gifting tables. Oh, wow. But it also opened up a whole other world of like, is it possible that somebody from this gifting tables world killed her? Because at the time of her murder, Barbara was in dessert position, ready to receive $40,000. So is it possible that someone's like, if I get to her, I can steal her $40,000 or some one of these women who didn't get their money. They're super pissed and like, oh, she's at the top. She's going to get money again. I'm going to make sure she doesn't get more. Or an angry husband that found out his wife sold the car or put another mortgage on the house to join this club that she's not getting money for. Yeah, and I think the important thing to mention here is that this whole idea that they had, yeah, guess what? It does work. But the only way that it works is that it has to continue to move like a shark (laughs) for the rest of its life. If it stops, Mm -hmm. it dies. So again, the only way that this works is that you constantly have to be recruiting new people. And the one thing I did think that they alluded to also is that it's like, at first, sure, it became, it was all people that were kind of friends of friends or acquaintances, people that they could trust, quote unquote. Um, But as time wore on, it was like, well, in order for this to work and these people to get their payouts, they had to go to people that they didn't know as well. People, again, like you're saying, that couldn't necessarily afford it. People that were maybe a little bit more desperate. People that were a little more shady. And again, like, there's no good end to one of these pyramid schemes. Like, there, there just isn't because people will always get hurt. Because unless you have the capacity to continue to keep this going for eternity, which, spoiler alert, you don't. You can't. Yeah. It won't work. You know, it's always going to fall apart. People are always going to lose money. People are always going to be super pissed. So I agree with you. I think that that is a great lead as a potential suspect is, was there somebody involved in these gifting tables? Because again, when you're starting to get into thousands and thousands of dollars and people thinking that they're going to get some sort of payout and then maybe they do, maybe they don't, I could see that being a good motive motive for murder that might have enough anger to get a knife in a head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't see why not. Yeah. Hmm. Wow wild but it did feel like again it was something that was so interesting because it did feel like I don't think that they started it with malice I don't think that these ladies started this as a way to like I don't think they were trying to be like criminal masterminds or something I think they just didn't really think it through that it was like oh shit now we're six months or however long into this thing and oh my god we we don't have an option we have to keep it going that's a lot of pressure oh yeah I mean, they seem nice enough, but they all there's also like a naive enough because they just to this day just it we're just a club. We're just women helping women, helping people out, lifting other women up and it's like, well, you're lifting other women up while standing on other women. Like, you know what I mean? Like 
yeah. is just you know what charlie manson had a club too let's look at how that turned out you know what i'm saying <laughs> i like charlie i like Thank the familiarity much. there you know yeah it, oh. i love that we just went into a like a <laughs> about serial killers that's where we're at i have issues we got to wrap this up soon. So let's go through thus far. So we're getting yeah. to the end of the first two episodes of Murder on Middle Beach. Let's talk about the theories, the suspects that we have so far. Yeah. You could potentially have, could this be a random attack of some, like a stranger where she was just wrong place, wrong time, somebody kind of sure. whatever. Well, Madison is a small suburb on the shoreline of Connecticut. Again, population as of like 2013 was just over 18,000. So it's not very big. Over 95% of Madisonians, which I liked, um, have an average household income of over $100,000. And the house's average value is like 460000 So I'm not saying crimes never happen there. But I found a chart, which I will post, of crime stats and it was from I believe like 2004 to 2015 and the only murder in there was one in 2010 it so I mean crime there seems mostly done by the police (laughs) (laughs) no I mean again we there are good police and there are not so good police so you know but the house where the, she was living at the time, she was renting a house on Middle Beach. Someone said it's really far back from the road. So it's like a house that you wouldn't necessarily know was there unless you had a reason to go there. Because it kind of like, it's almost like a really long drive and then it's way, way over. So yeah, unless you're specifically going to that house to come across it and see her there. And it seems like someone was there specifically at the time she got home because her stuff was all over the lawn and somebody, she would have come home um, sometime just after eight. She, I, I think she would have been home by 8.30. So it's just somebody got to her before she even got in the house. Right. So it just feels like somebody had to be lying in wait. And I highly doubt it was a stranger who just happened to be in the area and was just jonesing for a murder and was just like, I'm going to sit here and just wait because I feel like someone will come home. And it's like, or look around elsewhere. I'm not suggesting they look around elsewhere. But I just, I feel like that is probably not very likely. It does likely. feel, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, totally. you got to look everything, right? Sure. Uh, so then there's the option, could it be dirty cops? Maybe. I don't know what their motive would be unless they're getting some sort of kickback Right. from the person who asked them to do it. There's the idea of, could it be somebody from one of these gifting tables? Someone who lost money and blamed her. A husband that found out that his wife gave them money and he freaked out about it. She was in receiving dessert tier position when she died. So that could have been something to tick a lot of people off. Another thing is, the day before she died... She had a friend over and the friend told the documentary that they saw a man in a ski mask in the backyard. Just like 
casually walking through the backyard and they chose oh to not say anything to the police. So we don't know if there was, like, I don't know if, who knows if that guy came back. Maybe he was causing, like, doing some sort of crime somewhere else and used their backyard to uh, get somewhere. Maybe that's the person who was staking out the place and came back for her. Maybe it was Jeff in a ski mask. <laughs> Look, we're getting now to the family suspects. Yeah, here we go. So again, do I think it was Madison? The answer is no. He In 2010, at the time, he was a drug addict. I'm not saying that makes him a bad person. Uh, he nope. got expelled from school. He says he, after her death, he hit rock bottom, went to treatment, and then, you know, cleaned himself up and went back to film school. And that's where this whole thing ended up beginning. And it's just, again, she went to see him like just over two weeks before she died. And he was like, nope, can't see ya, busy. And it's like, I don't, yeah, he had a date and it was Valentine's Day. I probably would have also been like, as as a boy, would have been like, sorry, ma. I gotta go. I've I've got a hot date. Like, so I get it. I don't think he was involved. But again, there's a level of sociopath that could do it. Also, yeah. What's your alibi, Madison? Can you provide us with an airtight alibi? I did look to see how far Georgia is from Connecticut. Uh-huh. It's like a 13-hour drive. Okay. But. But is there proof my, that he was like in class at those times? I don't know. See? But I'd like to. But it's to. probably not out there. He's not putting that out there. Right. Because again, maybe part of his thing is he wants to leave it a little, who knows, so that we can hope that there'll be like a fifth and sixth episode or something. Mm. Who knows? Again, I don't think it was him, but. But just show us the receipts. Show us the receipts, Madison. Yeah. Just show us your airtight alibi that's. Unpenetrable. Yeah. The one that I am the most towards, that I feel like this is really our winner, is that ex-husband Jeff. Yeah. Again, throughout this documentary, Madison is filming all their phone calls, recording them all. And in 2013, he said things like, your mother was a very complicated person. She had a life I had no idea she had. There's more to the story than any of us will ever know. Well, that sounds like there's more to it and he knows, but he's not telling. Totally. So then in 2016, he meets up with his dad and he says, did you have anything to do with the murder? And Jeff's exact quote was, I'm not going to talk to you about the murder. Just look at the facts. I was somewhere else. The DNA wasn't right. I was sitting with your mother's lawyer. To which I say... That wasn't a no. That was a look at all the reasons I can't be. And it's like, or. I also feel like. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like if ever I have been accused of doing something. Now, I've never been accused of a murder, thank God. But uh, because I've never done one. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear. Um But I feel like for any of us who have been accused of something that you didn't do, like, I feel like human nature is to be like, absolutely not. Of course, I would never. 
uh, denial. Yeah. Like, like I don't know. Like, maybe that's me. Maybe everyone's different. But I just feel like human nature. If you legitimately are innocent, if you legitimately had no part of it, I feel like our our instinct as humans is to like be like, no, absolutely not. Like, I feel like it's harder to not say no. Do you know what I mean? Like, just that word. Sure. The fact that he refuses. To say he had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. He just talks around it and gives weird examples and gets angry. It is not looking good for you, Jeff Hamburg. Yeah, it's just there's also the fact that if she had showed up in court that day, he would have gone to jail. And she right. just so happened to not be there. So, wow, what are the odds that that happened? I mean, could it possibly be that Somebody at the gifting tables who was the level below her at her table was like, we need four more people or however many more people to join so that I can get bumped up to her position. And then it's like, well, it's looking like no one else is going to join. How else do I get bumped up to her position? I knock her out. You know, so it seems, is that possible? Yes. But... Do they look as guilty as her ex-husband? And the answer is, I don't think so. He's... Yeah, he looks pretty bad. Yeah. Until, of course, we get into episodes three and four of Murder on Middle Beach, where there are all new suspects introduced, and there are all new motives introduced. So, dear listeners... I think this is the natural stopping point for Murder on Middle Beach episodes one and two. Mm -hmm. Of course, you are going to have to tune in next week when we get into Murder on Middle Beach episodes three and four. And yes, I'm teasing it. And yes, it's true. There is another suspect or few that we have yet to get into. So this just when you think that this case can't take any more twists and turns, believe me, it does. Uh, So I am so excited to get to that next week. Christy Oxborough, fabulous work as always. Just a, a shining star. Oh. Hey. Oh, no. Here it goes. I've seen your work. Yeah. A plus. Oh. That's what my heart needed. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. I knew it. I mean, I, knew it. I know that I am just a therapist's dream or nightmare, I guess. But the fact that I'm like, oh, God, I really, I'm jonesing for a grade. I really, I really need to be graded. I need, I, I don't just need like someone to say positive things I need to see it in writing that someone is like look at how you've done in this so it's like I feel like that says that sells volumes and I know that it does and I'm aware enough that that's a sickness <laughs> you know you say sickness yeah. what I hear is I need to write out a report card oh my that's what God. I'm hearing no, to trust me, you're uh, the praise. Uh, it was well received. I'm just there is there is something about me that's like, yeah, I just I just uh, I just need to hear it. And it's like, just I can if I can say this to any parents out there, praise your kids because <laughs> there is there is something about. When they get into their 30s and start getting to, like, deep discussions with their, like, cousin, sister, best friend, co-host, and then, and therapist, it turns out, and then suddenly you're just like, oh, I need more praise. And then it's like, oh, this is deep-rooted, and you start looking into those roots, and it's like, ah, stop the cycle. (laughs) 
This has been a mental health moment brought to you by True Crime and Cocktails. (laughs) We are, if nothing else, always wanting to check in on mental health. We are, and I love that. Because it's brutal, and the world just keeps getting worse, so we just need to check in and make sure everyone's doing okay. And if we can bring joy while we're doing that, then thank God there's some sort of light. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Listen, I mean, again, this podcast has brought other people joy. It's yeah. brought us joy. And I think yeah. the great news is that we're also hearing that it's, it's doing in, you know, a few episodes <laughs> what would cost thousands of dollars in actual therapy for you. So that yeah. is a win. You know what I mean? We've, we've made a lot of progress in a small amount of time. <laughs> like, I actually thought the other day of like, should I look into making an appointment to do some sort of um, like hypnotherapy to look into that fountain situation, find out, was it a dream? Was it something else? Was it something I, my brain is like, ah, what's less scary than this? A rat fountain. Like, you know, like I've considered it. I thought of it just the other day and then I was like, I don't think I want to know yet. <laughs> I think maybe yeah. we need another season under our belt before we're getting into that <laughs> level of therapy. Um, but I look yeah. forward to the day that we do and I hope that we can film that hypnotherapy session. Yeah. To either, you know, uh, revere uh, with laughter and whatnot, uh, or to put away into our private files and <laughs> never be discussed publicly. <laughs> yeah, it really comes down to uh, what happens in that. But yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've considered it, but I'm just like, I think of what could the possible answers be, and I'm terrified because I'm not coming up with anything positive. <laughs> well, on that yeah. note. <laughs> Yeah. Um, may you have dreams tonight that don't involve people touching your back. Yeah. Oh. Uh, dear listeners, may you have dreams. May you sleep tonight. May you uh, have, have sweet dreams as well to anybody who's listening to this. We so appreciate you as always. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. Again, join us next week for Murder on Middle Beach episodes three and four. And make sure to visit our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com, if you want to see an extended case file. And give us a follow on Instagram, True Crime and Cocktails, Facebook, True Crime and Cocktails, and Twitter, at Not Detectives. Uh, do you want to say goodnight to the people? I, every time I lean in, I don't know why I could just talk normally, but I catch myself every time I lean in. But it's just because I want to get close and let them know I would like them to have a good night. And I appreciate them. It's a beautiful thing. I appreciate you. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Good night. wanted to hear the story of the time that Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine's kid had a two-hour-long tantrum that drove generations of their family to weep? Or maybe the story of SNL's Bobby Moynihan's kid who found random pizza in a playground sandbox and ate it? If so, you should check out Why Mommy Drinks, a weekly comedy podcast where I, Betsy Stover, talk to interesting people like Richard Jefferson from the NBA or Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend about a time that their kids broke them down into a shell of their former selves or maybe even drove them to drink, but in a fun way. If you have kids, this show will make you feel less alone. And if you don't have kids, you're going to be so glad you don't have kids. Listen on Campfire Media, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. My mommy drinks.